out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in the grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today I speak with Ruby. This is a long episode, so I'm keeping this short. I hope that I can now call Ruby a friend. Ruby was the clinical director at the rehab facility when I was there. Over the years we kept contact. I am very, very happy that she agreed to chat to meet me in the field. This podcast is supported by the first layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. This is Ruby's story. Sit back and enjoy. Ruby, welcome to Meet Me in the Field. Thank you very much, Freddie. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited and nervous. Why? Because I was wondering, driving here, why am I nervous? And I realized that our last uh, engagement was where you were in an authority position. And I've got authority issues. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so it's quite weird for me to kind of sit here as an equal. I'm possibly going to fall into the client mode at some okay, stage. Okay, well, I'm going to pull you out of it because cool. we are equals. Thank you very much. And, that and you're sitting with your beautiful little dog next to you who is so happy that there's guests and that she can be involved. What's her name? Her name's Lucy. Lucy. Hello, Lucy. Little Welcome to Meet Me in the Field. Oh, God. And here Lucy and jumps. Yes. <laughs> And Lucy's going to come sit on your lap. And Lucy is very ready. welcome in the session. We are happy to have you here as well. Ruby, the one thing that I found fascinating is when I was confirming the appointment, I went into Facebook where you are, went Messenger and see whether I got your address. Yes. And I saw she's from Australia. Yep. What the hell? When did that happen? When did you come back? What? what? I... Pretty. what happened is my parents were actually... Um, Born in Holland. Okay. Uh, Both parents. Both parents. Okay. Yeah. And at the outbreak of the Second World War, my grandparents, who were alive at that stage, had taken both families to Indonesia. Okay. Because Indonesia was a Dutch colony. Oh, yes. And at the outbreak of the war, all the Dutch were incarcerated in prisoner of war camps. Oh, my word. So what happened is that my parents, for those years were actually incarcerated oh, in, in camps. They didn't know one another at that point. And at the end of the war, the Dutch were repatriated, those that were still alive. Okay. And my father made a decision to start a new life. Okay. And he and my mother... So by that time, they knew they each didn't, other. They didn't still know not each other. know each other. They, okay. got, they met probably when they were about 17, 18. And my late father actually said, you know, let's... Um, start a new life so they immigrated to Australia okay and my sister and I were both born in Sydney she's six years younger than me and fortunately unfortunately I look at it with well it was it is as it's supposed to be Uh, my father was offered a directorship at an American company that he was working for at the time in Johannesburg. Okay. So we made the kind of reverse move. Yeah, I just want to say the flow is uh, in the yeah, other direction. Yeah, we did the Sydney to Johannesburg yeah. rather than South Africa <laughs> yes. to Australia. But for me, a lot of times I thought life would be easier okay. in Australia. Yeah. But life is richer for me in Africa and I see myself more as an African than an So Australian. how old were you when you arrived on African soil? 
10 years old. 10 years old. So you actually still remember Sydney and... A huge amount. I remember spending weekends on the beach because it was a difficult family environment because there was a great deal of isolation because it was really just, as I say, my mother and my father. Yeah. And neither of them had worked out any of that trauma, the deprivation, Mm. the deficits, all that had gone on in that war and the incarceration. And Mm. they brought that into the space. Very often my father would act it out by putting me in a room for 48 hours oh, and I was jailed by him. So I remember Australia with a great deal of fondness, but I remember fleeing from the home a lot okay. to friends' houses. And people would say, you know, Ruby pitches up at like really weird times, you know, at 12 o'clock midnight. So then, Freddie, what happened is my father, he, he shot himself. He killed oh, himself word. when I was 16. And unfortunately, it was just before my matric year, and I then went into full-blown drinking and being drunk every day at school. Oh, wow. And going from six A's in Standard 9, which was called Standard 9 there. Yeah, the good old days. To the good old days. (laughs) To then, in matric, you know, barely scraping by. I mean, I got three A's, but those A's were for my languages, and I'm good at languages. The rest, I went from an A to an F in in mathematics and stuff. And what had happened is I had a provisional place at Wits Med School, so it was on the basis of, um, yeah, some very difficult stuff that I actually matriculated. Oh, my word. So you didn't end up going to med school? No, I didn't go to med school. And so what and did you go and do? what I did was, well, I stayed drunk for a few years. <laughs> and then when I eventually <laughs> dealt with life pulled <laughs> myself together, I went and did a BA uh, specializing in legal subjects because okay. I thought, okay, I can go be a lawyer. Um, but not really having any sense of who I was, what I needed, and sitting with a whole lot of unprocessed trauma yeah, myself. So I, I was a very angry that. girl and very broken in some ways. So I went to WITS, I did the the BA with the legal uh, subjects, and then I realized, my goodness, the law is very boring. But I think the problem was that I was always very bubbleless. So I I, I got through that, and I thought, well, what do I now do with this BA? And I decided, well, maybe an H, a higher diploma in education. Okay. And Freddie, that is where things started to come together for me, because for the first time in my life, instead of doing it for an absent and now dead abusive father... I was actually doing something for myself. Making a decision for yourself. So and that waitressed, felt right. It felt great. I waitressed my way through the degree. Cool. And I cum laude it and I got a certificate and I stood up there and thought, yeah, if I put my mind to something yeah. and I want it for me, good things will come of it. Awesome. And I taught for five years and what I loved about the teaching was I was very involved with the spec ed, remedial teaching. Yes. Children who were dyslexic, uh, dysphasic, dyspraxic, dis, 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 all the, the bad and things. And how did that happen? Was it, did you specialize in that when well, you studied? Or did it yes. Just, what okay. happened is that I had, the, my majors were in psychology, English, and mathematics. Okay. So I took <laughs> on the <laughs> academic side, but I found myself far more enjoying the, the what they called edu- general and vocational guidance. Okay. And I realized that those classes, those were my classes. Okay. And those children were, in a way, because I was diagnosed similarly when I was young, ADHD, not, not with necessarily dys- dyslexia, yeah. but with learning difficulties okay. that at that time they didn't see as ADHD. They just saw me as a very naughty child. Yeah, in, our, in our days, ADHD wasn't... The, yeah, the, and that's why... I'm not just assuming you're my age. I suppose you're younger than I. Well, I don't know. Well, that I'm, doesn't matter. I'm turning 52 in a week, oh, in two right. weeks. 
my birthday is this coming Sunday, and I'm oh, actually turning a bit o- o- uh, older than you, three years oh old, actually. So you, okay. <laughs> Third of March, so next so Sunday. So, I guess so we're very close to each other. So and in, then in our days, AD, ADD, ADHD did, oh, did, no. just did not feature. No, yeah. and you see, Freddie, I think this is one of the things that I had kind of set up for myself unwittingly at school, because I think if I were an easier pupil, they would have said, Fun of Fleece, that was my name. Ruby Fun of Fleece, huh, what's going on here? Six A's to an F in science yeah. and maths. But I think they were thinking, just let's get this child through matric and yeah. see the back of her. In fact, the headmaster said, are you glad it's over, um, our final exam? And I walked up and said, yes, very glad. And he said, so am I. <laughs> so the falling through the cracks there was a thing of my behavior was such, it was so yeah. disordered and caused the teachers such a load of shit yeah. that the teachers were like, you know what? Thank God she's yeah. gone. The good, good, off you go. Yeah, the, the days when the classes had 30 children Absolutely. and they were just too, thank God, glad to And to, the to naughty ones were like, well, you know yeah. what, get out, stay outside the class for three weeks at a yeah. time because then I don't have to deal with exactly. you. And there were no counsellors at the school or no. psychologists or anything like that. So, yeah, and I then sailed off into the blue yonder, into the drinking, drinking, drinking. And as I say, the, the, the upshot of that is I got to a point in my life where I thought, maybe there is, maybe I deserve something different. Yeah. awesome. And it was at that and doing that degree and going into schools thinking, okay, I'll be a teacher and then realizing what I really love is not the teaching as much as being there for children. And this was a very high functioning school. I mean, this was King David Linksfield where the teachers at all like, and Pretoria Boys High, where the teachers and the parents were like, my son will be an anesthetist. My daughter's going to be a lawyer. They had handpicked their children. And everyone was like coaching the kids. The teachers weren't teaching. We were coaching the kids to their distinctions Mm. so they could get into med school or into law school. And then there was a group of kids who very often were sponsored in the school because the fees were so incredibly high, who often came from... Yeah, mid socioeconomic, lower socioeconomic, which is not something you see very much in the Jewish community. But the great thing, I mean, that kind of economic status, the great thing was that in the Jewish community, you look after your own. Yes. So those children were sponsored into King David. And I found my calling amongst those kids. And that is what precipitated me to do more work in psychology. Okay. Because I thought the academic way, it's great. I can make a living out of this. But my heart was with giving children who were different and felt in a lot of ways less than the others, yeah. especially in a superstar environment, giving them a feeling that, you know, So not you alone. started batting for the underdog. I started batting for the underdog and cool. I pretty much always have in a lot of ways. I remember fighting at school for children because I was very bullied at school. I have a squint, which was, they tried to correct many times in surgery and kids, as you know, can be mm. very, very, very cruel. And I you think as, as cruel as children, if you think absolutely. about it, really. There's no fault there. You're, you're nothing. Just, just comes ah, Van der Vlees, your one <laughs> eye's there, your other eye's looking here. And I was always mortified. Yeah. Mm-mm. And then Still. I started thinking, okay, you know what? I can also be a bully. Ah. And I will bully the bully and look after those who, because okay. I so much identified with that wounding. Yeah. And I thought, no, 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 not a fuck are you going to talk to me like that. So I'm going to, as we say, the best form of defense is yes, attack. Yes. So I became quite hectic. And that oh, was right. really the truancy, my, my sort of late school years, where I thought, try and bully me, I'll fucking flatten you. So <laughs> that's where the... Where the when one looks at you, I always got the picture of, of extreme vulnerability. But then when you open your mouth, it's kind of this, don't fuck with me. <laughs> and one of my 
one of my very good friends who's a psychologist said to me, Ruby, I think for a lot of people it's incredibly difficult to understand that in this woman resides great power, but also great vulnerability, yeah. but it's in the same person. Yes. Because people would either see the one or the other. Yeah. And wouldn't see or wouldn't be able to appreciate or I didn't show yeah. that actually those two yes. sides are, you know, they, they're part Live, of me. Living it's, in harmony in the same entity and, and it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That it's an and and, not the yeah. vulnerability or the power. Yes. It's a vulnerability and the yeah. power because the vulnerability I don't see as a weakness. I see no, actually as a great strength. Yeah. Especially in what we do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So did you grow up with religion? Freddie, what happened? Being Dutch, Dutch reformed? Um, my <laughs> parents were, and again, you know, they grew up both in quite religious homes, but it was almost like going to Australia. They not only lost their kind of geographical moorings in the family okay. constellation, they also lost a sense of what was right, what was wrong, and that's where a lot of abuse happened in okay. the family. And yeah, we were like out on a limb. And the family in Holland, I think there was a great deal of denial of what was going on. I was too young to talk about it. My sister even younger. Yeah. My parents didn't want to talk about it. They mm. were trying to fight their own demons day yeah. by day. With the culmination that my mother became very addicted and, you know, we, my sister and I in latter years had to deal with that. Very addicted to prescription medication. Okay. And my father shot himself. Mm. He couldn't oh, do life. Word. And, uh, yeah, so... There was also at that time in Australia a great deal going on with the family who lived next door to us who were quite involved in some very, you know, wife swapping and swinging and involving <laughs> for the children. No, it was kind of, what a weird setup, yeah. It was yeah, it was a it was a hectic setup and something I thought about a while back was that there was in something very beautiful in the midst of all of that hell. And what the beauty was is that this next door neighbor, the woman who was this real out there, free love, you know, screw whatever's got a pulse kind of thing and do the same with her. Yeah, and I don't mean that pejoratively. It's actually quite sad when I look back at it because for a child that was very over, I didn't know what to do with that yeah. and to see my parents literally having sex with other people. Yeah. Um, and freaking out when I saw it and getting told, shut up, what you're seeing, you're not seeing, and go back to bed. Oh, my word. So it was yeah. like a complete upside down of my reality mm. but in that same and here's the and and again in that same space the woman's parents um, came out from England to visit in Australia and one of the I think it was the grandmother looked at me and said my child why don't you come with us to church and somebody here was taking notice of me and not in the way of beating yeah. or screaming at or having sex with. And we went to, a, I still remember what I wore. It was a green shift dress. And I took my mother's hairspray and I hairsprayed my hair into like a helmet <laughs> because I was now going to church for the first time in my life. I'd not been baptized. Amazing. I'd been into a church. And I must have been about eight years old. So definitely old enough to realize what, Absolutely. what what's happening, yeah. Absolutely. And I then went with them to an Anglican church in a, in Sydney. And it was almost like a mass. And I'd never been in an Anglican church. I don't know why well, I'd never mm. been in a church. The 
I think they call it a reverend or a father. I think it's a father. It doesn't really matter yeah. because... Duomini for the me. Duomini. <laughs> the Duomini came and he put his hand on my head and he smiled at me and I thought, ah, you see, he likes my hairspray. I've done a good thing here. And he looked at me, be blessed. And he said, be blessed, little girl. Sweet. I'll never forget it. Oh, amazing. Because there was something about being in all of that gedunte and then going to church that was incredibly beautiful. Oh, wow. And it's always stayed with me and it brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it. So it, it felt like a sanctuary, like, like a, yeah. a safe place. In, in Out all of the, the craziness, of there yeah. was this place and it didn't make me religious. What it made, I think what it planted inside me and it, owned, it was a dormant seed because it only came out many years later, was a sense that there is something different. Okay that in the midst of hell, you can find heaven. Okay. However you see hell and however you see heaven, there, there are beautiful things. Yes. And when you least expect them, if you're open, if you open your heart, when you least expect them, they, yeah. they can come your way. And that, I believe, came my way. Awesome. And then when you, when you arrived in South Africa, you arrived into a Christian national education system. Yeah. So now... It's religious studies at school and oh, all yeah. those. So how did you identify with, with that? Not at all, because that was my full-on oppositional, you know, um, out there rebellion. Okay. I used to bunk religious instruction. And when I went into religious instruction classes, I would sit at the back of the class filing my nails, hopefully hoping that our teacher, Mr. Nuns, God rest his soul, <laughs> Mr. Nunn's was his surname, surname, (laughs) N-U-N-N-E-S, and we used to sing a lot of funny hymns about him, very, I won't put them on (laughs) air, but um, Mr. Nunn's had a piece of hosepipe, and he would come around and he'd be, you know, putting up notes and AV things on the, the Israelites and the Pharisees and all of that. And I would be sitting filing my nails thinking of where I was going to go out that night because I could do as I pleased when I got home from yeah. school. There was no checks and balances. Mr. Nuns would have a piece of hosepipe and he'd whip it out and he quickly hit me on the hands. Oh, my word. <laughs> so for me, religious instruction was, can I file my, na- my nails before I get wood I'll- with the hosepipe? <laughs> so it became a bit of a contest between me and Mr. Nuns who was yeah. going to. And, and that was really the, the onset of my, well, I mean, that had so been So it didn't resonate with you at not all? all. Not it, at all. It was not the safe haven. It was not no, the, it was a whole authority yeah. thing. And it was a thing of, you know what? Never, ever, ever will I allow myself to be hurt by authority again. So I'm going to okay. show you, Mr. Nuns, that I yeah. can do what I want in your class. And yes, you're the teacher in this hectic thing. You can give me detentions and everything, but I'll hold my ground. Yeah. Oh, so wow. I never really heard anything that he had to yeah. say. And it was an a priori given that what he did say, I would reject. Yeah. Which was a pity. But that <laughs> was what it was. <laughs> that's, yeah. The, yeah, that's how it was. And as a teacher, mm. how can I put this? Now you're in, 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 again in a, in, a, in a Christian national education system. Were you kind of supposed to, I'm using inverted commas for the, for the, for the viewers, <laughs> live this Christian life? But, yeah. but, and how did you slide past that, through that? Um, I had been exposed to a, a lot of bits because it was at the time of the National State of Emergency. I say, yes. Um, you know, they had the dogs and the security police and the riot squad oh, you were on burning campus the flags. every second day. We were you burning, burning the flags, flags yes. and we were going... The old national flag. Exactly. We were doing all of that and singing freedom songs. And when I look at it now, I'm surprised I passed anything at university. <laughs> but... Uh, 
then I almost swung to the opposite and then my life was quite binary at that stage because up to when my father killed himself I was the good child then I switched into total rebellion and then I announced to the world I was going to become a teacher and those who knew me said teacher oh you fucked in your head (laughs) in a South African white government school but the beautiful thing was that being at Witz, I had done my teacher pracs at places in Rivoli, in Fordsburg, in Johannesburg, okay. places that were socially disadvantaged, yeah. where people of color lived. And that was the most beautiful thing for me, being able to run academic support programs and being actually, I guess, exposed to things outside of what one would normally yeah. be exposed to being a northern suburbs white girl yeah. who had my own trauma but was held by a system that Absolutely, said yeah. white privilege, you're white, yes. and because of your white skin, off you go. Yeah. But the beautiful thing be is okay. that Wits did not subscribe to that. Yes, not at all. So I I saw what I wanted. Okay. And I also learned to be able to use my voice in classrooms of schools that were very upstanding, but were in in a sort of a CNE way, Christian National Education, but where there was enough freedom to be able to exercise, because I I mean, I taught at a Jewish school. And I don't have to go into the history of the oppression and everything that happened to the Jews, and also at an Afrikaans school. Mm what I was afforded was the opportunity to also speak a different narrative within the bounds of what was okay not. Very different to if I'd gone to Hoor School Linden of Eats Sweets. Or like me studying at Rao. There you go. Or if I went to Potch University. Mm. So, (laughs) you know. Worse than Rao. Yeah. Very fakram and very like, you know, this is the way you think. So, I was given at an at a at that stage of my life the opportunity to really broaden the way awesome. I felt, thought, behaved, okay. and this I brought into the classroom. But I was also very aware that something had been hurt in me, and I towed the line. But okay. I towed the line within the bounds of being creative, uh, but I didn't go into class and say, the national government bad, yeah. the national government must fall. I, I kind of knew my place, but I was also given the space awesome. to, to explore yeah. and to talk about okay. alternative narratives and alternative ways of seeing the world yes. to what the Christian national education yeah. way would have us see. So yeah. It just crossed my mind that I completely forgot that Potch was actually... That's exactly it. It was Christian higher education. And Freddie, in my first year of teaching, because I had won some awards, I was given the opportunity basically to go and teach where I wanted. So I could have gone to one of the Lani schools, which I did later. But for my first year of teaching, I taught at a dual well, it was called the dual medium, but it was more Afrikaans than in English called Pitratif. Oh, my God. But, but it's no Nkondo of, of Suez. And that was like about 80 k's from the Swaziland border. Because, again, there was my thing of, okay, I've done my degree. I'm still living at home. I had kind of just shut down, battened down the hatches and 
you know, did what focused needed to on be done. what needed to be done, yeah. prepared my lessons, super efficient. But that was also a defense against dealing with yes. the family thing because yeah. my mother had then remarried and my stepfather was, again, you know, I look back with love, but at the time I didn't love him. He was Afrikaans and he had raised three boys and he mm. was going to try and be my father. And I was, don't you think <laughs> yeah. you're going to come into my space and try and tell me what to do? Yeah. So the teaching and the academics and that it was a haven and I was good at it. But also what I did in my first year is I went, I got the hell out of Dodge. I went and taught in a small school and it was beautiful. I taught from what was standard six at that stage through to matric. And I had the, yeah, my brief was to get these first language English um, uh, pupils through their matric exam. Now, hulle kan nie Engels praat nie. Freddy, hulle was eindelijk. <laughs> From Peter Tief of God. Peter Tief of. And the surnames were Symington and a lot of English surnames. But these kids lived in the Corsairs. Yeah. And the Corsairs spoke Afrikaans. Hell, we spoke Afrikaans. The teacher spoke Afrikaans. And now we still may have to do Macbeth. <laughs> Is this what did that guy see before me? And... I was basically the translator. It was not a case of, you know, let's yeah, get you through let's matric. Get the meaning let's get let's the nuances. <laughs> no, guys. Macbeth, let's... Okay, so he is a Scottish king and he fights da-da-da. Okay, guys, you got it. You got to Banco is Yeah, that's the means what he goes see. <laughs> and it was actually the most beautiful year, but Amazing. very, very challenging. And again, I was put into an environment that I would not ever have, you know, been able to... Yeah. W- would have gone into myself very for crump. And here's the soap peel now, mm-hmm. you know, and I was yes. viewed with great suspicion in that school. <laughs> Can you imagine? But you know what, Freddie, the beautiful the thing witzy is? The witsy nogal. The witsy. When I told him I was from witz. <laughs> the Wits, communist woman. I let all pamper van hulle stole af geval. Witz. Yes, van witz af. Wat nou die flag? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that and, is... But you know what was beautiful? Is that underneath that all... Because it was a boring place, Freddie. Now the I teachers live in the Corsairs. We had, I mean, on a onset gebraai. Yeah. And actually sitting with those teachers, the woodwork teacher, <laughs> meneer Zietzman, <laughs> and meneer Teron, and allemaal van hulle, we found our common place oh, wow. in terms of common humanity. And we sat and we would laugh. Such that I, one of my the cohort of teachers, Minetor, he actually fell off his chair and he said, I so peel on Sanyo Darmus Asia Fanny. And that was very beautiful because yeah. it showed me that regardless of, you know, how we've been brought yeah. up, if we if there is a space that's conducive to talking, we can find one another. Yeah. And we did. Like and I'll never fire. forget that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I'll never fire forget and that. Put the in a circle and I'm telling you, yeah, that's it amazing. was for me one of, yeah, I taught for five years, but that was one of the formative experiences. And I'm very, very pleased that, you know, my higher power guided me to get out of Joburg yeah. and go into a space where I was frankly incredibly uncomfortable. And when I first I went there, yeah. I sat in that course haste and um, I cried and cried and cried. I thought, what have I done? Yeah. I could have chosen any school in Joburg, and here I am. But Freddie, I did it, and, I, and and it's proved to be it was a formative experience. Amazing. Yeah. Now that you talk about Macbeth, I did Macbeth in matric. Mm. Now, as you know, you do the Shakespeare thing for the whole year. Yes. In the Afrikaans school, this is your prescribed work, and this is what <laughs> yes. you're going to write the exam about. And then I get to varsity, and the lecturer said we had a double class in on a Tuesday. 
And the lecturer said, okay, so next week we're doing Julius Caesar. So in my head, okay, we're starting to do Julius Caesar. And sat in front of the class and I said to my friend next to me, shall we go to the movies? Yes, go to movies. <laughs> Off we go to movies. <laughs> next week, we to, later we arrive and say, okay, so as discussed last week, we're writing the test about Julius Caesar today. Oh. <laughs> I, I talk. <laughs> they finished Julius Caesar in, in, in one and a half hours. Wow, that's... The previous year, we did it in a year. That's speed dating Julius that's, Caesar. <laughs> that was like, that was absolutely crazy. So obviously I failed in my mood. I spelled Caesar ne? incorrectly. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I haven't read the book, I was in the class. <laughs> and I got because. But wow, that teacher must have really... That was I don't know how those pupils were no. able to... But from one year... <laughs> into to, one week, to, one to, class. To an hour and a half. An hour and a that half. Was it. That was the difference between mm. an Afrikaans school mm. and varsity. Mm. Shocking. Yeah. So how did you move out of teaching? What happened then? What happened is that I'd got to the end of five years and had this feeling that there was something burning in me and it was a desire to carry on with psychology. Okay. Having done it for three years undergrad, I then decided, okay, how am I going to do this? I want to go back to university, but I don't have the funds to study yeah. full time. And I started many things. I started with a tertiary education, uh, in a tertiary education environment where we taught people study skills and we taught people about eye movement and being able to speed read and things like that. And it paid well, but it was for me, you know, it was quite yeah. bread and butter. Okay. Um, don't get me wrong, and I, I, you know, there's some good people there, and I think we gave a great service, but it was very corporate orientated, and for me, it was not me. Okay. And then I kind of searched around. I got married, and in the same year, I started just started an MBA at Wits Business School, and the two not did not go well together. The <laughs> MBA went first, the marriage went after that. I just want to say. Um, but I, what I learned is that. Business was not for me, but okay. I, I needed to almost go there in order to see yes. that. So I did quite a bit of experimenting with, do I like corporate? Do What what do I want? I ended up, however, in a property company. Um, and then I worked for South African Breweries, Nohal. There's a nice <laughs> little irony for you. So, um, so during that time, the great thing was that I was earning money uh, in the corporate world, and that financed my studies and gave okay. me the time also because then I would get home from a day's work and at the time to actually study, to carry on my psychology okay. honours at that stage. And that you did through UNISA? That I did through UNISA. Okay. That I did through UNISA while working full-time. Wow. And it was actually, yeah, it uh, was quite quite demanding, but that really got me back into a field that ultimately was where my heart li yeah. lay and I do believe that I've got strengths in many areas, but this was a strength with a passion. Yeah. And the two together were important for me. Lovely. And that kind of got me on the track that I'm at now. And, you know, in 2008, if we fast forward, 2001, I was um, still doing temporary work for South African breweries, completed my, my honors at UNISA, and then was out the blue, a friend of mine who was also in... In, in South African breweries at that stage and went on to be a clinical psychologist, said to me, Ruby, you often speak or have spoken about addiction and what it meant in your family of origin and where you see yourself in relation to it and how it 
bled you of the good things in your life. I pulled this out the newspaper and take a look at it. Maybe it's something for you. And what it was is an advertisement to be the director, the operational director of a rehab on the East Rand in Boxburg called the House of Mercy. Okay. I didn't realize at that stage that the House of Mercy was run under the auspices of the Catholic Church. But what I did like, um, not that I didn't like that, but what I did like is the fact that, wow, rehab. And I was scared and delighted in equal measure. I went for the first interview and I remember driving into Reicha Park, which was one of the most hectic places I'd ever seen. Very hectic, coloured township on the edge of Boxburg. And think of Manenberg. Park here as well? Reicha Park? Near Madurbus Reicha Park. Okay. And it was similar to going onto the flats, Lavender Hill kind of thing. So I drove past piles of rubbish, dead dogs, um, mm. people walking on the side of the road. And while my heart was pumping, 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 I was fearful of this interview because I was meeting with a parish priest oh, wow. and a couple of Catholic nuns because they were actually part of this House of Mercy and two social workers. I got to this place, um, no GPS, I still don't have a GPS. <laughs> Those so. are the days of, of, of maps. <laughs> yeah, and meantime, me, I'm, I had to get the directions from this, the, the priest secretary, and I kept looking at my things, and I found myself at St. Anthony's Higher Training Facility in Park, and they interviewed me, and as I say, after a couple of rounds of that, they offered me the position. Wow. I need to stop you there. At mm. SA Bruce, did you do anything in the field of psychology, of personnel, of... Yes and no, because I was the, I, I tempt there, but I, almost like I got on a contractor basis. But what I did is I worked for the, at that stage, there were five top directors of South African breweries. And maybe this was good marketing of mine because I could type it like 10 words a minute. So it wasn't that that they <laughs> employed me for. But I could speak really well. And my boss was actually the head of HR for the region. Okay. And... It was through him and setting up questionnaires and I worked quite closely with the, who was a industrial psychologist at South African breweries. He's now emigrated to Australia, interestingly enough, talking about those things. <laughs> um, and I became very interested in ergonomics and in occupational workplace okay. things and all of that. But the industrial side of it was, it was kind of dipping my toe in, but I knew that for me that that wasn't the whole deal, okay. but it was a great in. And also the man I worked for, Johan Nell, he was he was a wonderful guy. I worked for a couple of those directors, but I think he and I, um, just in terms of our working relationship, Johan, I see you here now, Leister, for you. Um, he and I did some some good work together, and oh, cool. I also worked in that pool. Again, it's beautiful looking back at it. For one of my philosophy lecturers, Dr. Vincent Papai. He was my philosophy lecturer at Wits when he wore blue jeans and a t-shirt and was very radical. And I was, ah, Dr. Mapai, and we worshipped the ground he walked on. Um, and then he was the corporate social responsibility oh, wow. manager, well, not manager, but the head of at South African Breweries. So I ended up being able to interface with some very fine minds oh, wow. and got a kind of quite eclectic experience. But again, it was heavily corporate. Yeah. And I mean, those, it was a boys club was the top boys, yes. the big swinging dicks of SAB. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what it was. But uh, it was also wonderful. I was, awesome. I don't, you know, there were times when you are, you know, you woman, know your place, shut up and yeah. look pretty and do what you need to do. 
but they also saw, I think, a potential in me. And I, the, the great thing was it worked both ways. Cool. But it also gave me a sense of what I did want and what I didn't want. Okay, fantastic. Because it, the industrial psych pays incredibly well. And part of me thought, ah, maybe I must like mm. take the things and sort of just go and get a few credits and become an industrial psychologist. Then I thought, Ruby, if you're true to yourself, do you really yeah. want that? I did my honours in industrial psychology or sociology. It was one oh, of okay. my it was one of my three three fields in in my honours. But God, it didn't resonate with me. Mm. Not at all. It was I found it very difficult. And yeah. the other two fields were family family sociology and group dynamics, oh. and that I really loved. Okay. Industrial, it just did was it not. But dry, resonate. did you find yeah, boring? I, I hated yeah. it. It was awful. Yeah. Can you remember anything you did in philosophy? Yes. Uh, I, a while ago, I, I was thinking of going to do an honours in psychology at UNISA, so I had to get my study record from Rao. Okay. And I looked at this and I thought, oh my God, I did one semester of philosophy. I couldn't remember having taken it. There are two subjects that I couldn't remember having taken. The subject. Not the content, the actual subject I couldn't remember. So a while ago, my husband said to me, so you had philosophy, so what did you do? I couldn't remember <laughs> one thing. I said to him, well, I remember we had a Sunday night dinner at one of the lectures. <laughs> so that's what I remember. You remember from, the important from things. From philosophy really. at adversity. So I'm glad to hear you, you took more Look, notice but, but, of well, than I did. <laughs> yeah, I took more notice but no notes. Come the end of the year, I was in the Wartenweiler Library having paid people a small fortune to photocopy their entire oh, files. Oh, my word. I'm a bit embarrassed to say that <laughs> philosophy, yeah, it wasn't that bad because some of the lectures were interesting. But unfortunately, our psych lectures used to happen just before the lunchtime break, by which stage I was already at the dev down the road ah. drinking. So I needed to <laughs> photocopy. A, and, and you had to put those days, put like money, like a ticky box yes, into, the, into, the into the thing. I was putting yeah. so much money in that thing that like I couldn't take any more money. <laughs> And that was very busy to photocopy now. Oh, Thank God. goodness people, you know, were kind enough to let me photocopy their notes. Or desperate enough for money. Uh, well, and, and probably both. And the Wartenweiler women used to look at her, ah, oh, hello, are you photocopying again? Yeah, I'm here again. And I would carry literally a person's whole the year file in. Oh, so word. when you talk about not remembering, uh, yeah, that was me in English having not read the book sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the psychology, well, I had somebody next to me who was very parat and took really good notes. And I was very interested in the subject. But at that stage, also the alcohol was like okay. a siren call, go down into Bromfontein and then I'd have to go back. And yeah, kind of the real drinking remorse, you know, afterwards. Yeah. Oh, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Mm. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different <laughs> result. So you were slightly um, insane, were you? Slightly what? Slightly insane. Oh, just a bit, eh? No, <laughs> just a tad at that stage. Yeah. Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So now we're at rehab. Now we're at rehab, 2001. Catholic rehab. Catholic rehab. And it was, in some ways, like finding my tribe. Was it a 12-step facility? It was a 12-step facility. And what was very, very interesting about that place is that it was... It took in the poorest of the poor. We're talking about people from Reicha Park, yeah. and the drug of choice there is obviously was white pipes. So it's yes. Mandrax Dacha. That was the thing that the Catholic Church was actually getting a great subsidy from the Department of Social Services, okay. Social Development, um, and that's how we could employ top-rate um, social worker, have a doctor come onto the premises, okay. have a psychiatrist. 
because we actually were those posts were subsidized and the place was subsidized by the Department of Social Services. So the people that came to us, as I say, the poorest of the poor, and very often people that had been either sectioned into treatment or okay. had gone everywhere and had no money for treatment yeah. and was like the end of the road. Okay. Mm. And it's that's where I found my niche. Sure, so you've, you, so um, you, you, you've thrown in at the deep end. Freddie, um, I used to drive yeah, from where I lived, which was in Paulshof in Santon, and it used to take me a good hour and a half to get to Boxburg because I would go on the N1 and then the N12 and invariably mm -hmm. through Galuli's Interchange mm -hmm. one yeah. used to sit for an hour. But I found my tribe in the sense that my heart had come to land Amazing. somewhere. And I wanted to belong. And I saw the nuns almost as... A, a spiritual mothering and having not received awesome. the mothering yeah. for me it was maybe this is my tribe and I actually decided to become a Catholic oh, wow. because and I think I was wanting to belong and I remember once saying to one of the the sisters sister Regina sister Regina if you're out there <laughs> queen of the Catholics this is for you this is for you <laughs> said to one sister do you not like me because I'm not a Catholic and she looked at me and said, no, that's not the case. I believe that God brought you amongst us. Are you difficult to work with? Yes, but you're here for a reason. <laughs> and why were you difficult to work with? They found me very different. Okay. Because just, just nuns, different. it was very much you defer to the priests of the parish and it was yes. very hierarchical oh, okay, in well. the Catholic Church. And here I came in with a different value mm. set. Yes. A great desire, you talk about the power of vulnerability, a great desire to make a difference, yeah. but also a need to find my home. And in that, I think, okay. because I did not want to take the priest, the parish priest's word as gospel. Yeah. Because I did not believe that his yeah. word was gospel. He had, and again, God rest his soul, he's dead now. But Father Stan Brennan had fantastic, he had unbelievable qualities and he built something amazing. But I also questioned certain other things yeah. and that brought a problem because the dogma and the doctrine also constricted yes. certain things. And while I think, well, I know I was a great asset to that place. We got about, we got millions through the National Lotteries Development Trust Fund mm. and we were blessed in that we were able to build a purpose-built rehab, oh, our wow. own facility. Because at the stage when I started working there, we had two semi-detached houses okay. and across the road was a Shabin. <laughs> so our patients used to love Friday <laughs> afternoons because the music would get cranked up oh, and the little matchboxes of Dacha would get thrown into the road oh, and the patients Lord. would put a, draw, uh, throw a two-buck into the road and it was party time. Oh, and wow. I would sit sometimes in a session and I'd have to look over the wall and say, guys, guys, turn it down a bit, man. Turn it down. I will be comfort And I'd say, guys, guys, really, I'm trying. I do, The beat is going and I'm trying to say, but now how does this make you feel? And the client's looking, thinking, hey, I, I want to be there, not, yes, not exactly. here. And I'd have to say, please, excuse me, and go, guys, would you keep <laughs> Hi, man, hi, who's it? Shut up, actually. Ruby, come drink with us. No, guys, guys, oh, I can't. We've got to a food, man, food, food. Uh, so we had Amazing. a great time. We had a wonderful time. But the, yeah, again, it was an interesting combination of that which was incredibly beautiful and equally appalling. Yeah. Because of the poverty, because mm. of the 
I mean, the the kinds of clients, because very yes. often they were at the end of the road. Yeah. And there are many people um, at that time who, that was their last rehab. Yes. It was their last rehab in the sense that they died. Mm. And it was hectic. Yeah. I was had seen death. I was not used to death, but I felt it in a very different way when I saw people that just... They had burnt out, yeah. and burnt out not in terms of not using, but burnt out in terms of they'd lost the hope. The actual flame just died. Yeah. Oh. And I saw that in the eyes. Yeah. Shame. And I remember mm. sitting one night with a heroin addict, and he was like, Ruby, I'm tired. Mm. And it was late on a Friday night, and being a Catholic institution, you know, you don't eat meat on a Friday, and mm. they just had their fish dinner on a Friday night. And they were well looked after. He didn't want to eat, understandably. He was going through detox and a hectic detox. And he lay there and said, I'm tired. And I saw a spiritual tiredness. And it made me scared. Yeah. Mm. And I said, please just hang in. Yeah. And that Friday night, I think it was about two in the morning, I got a call and said, um, he jumped the wall and he went and overdosed and died. Oh, no. Oi, it was, God. Yeah. And it was, as I say, it was delightful, soul-restoring in that space and incredibly scary at the same time. Yeah, because somebody new into the addiction field mm. to be yeah. thrown into mm. that deep end and, 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 and you needed to swim. But what I'm hearing, am I hearing correctly that you also found your spiritual home there? Yes. N not only your, your tribe, but also your spiritual tribe. And that's the thing, is I found my tribe, but I think I came home to myself. I found the inside of me. Amazing. And that's really what it was, is I would sit in In the mass. darkest dregs of, exactly. of, of difficulty. Wow. In, that, how do you like that alliteration? I tell the you now. The darkest dregs of difficulty. I, well, you, lo you know, if you, this is not your calling in terms of counselor, definitely you can be a poet with your alliteration. It's perfect. And nochal in Engels. Nochal, yeah. Nochal. Not even my hometown. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it was. Beautiful. I came home to myself. Yeah. It was a homecoming to me, and I found my people. And it wasn't the Catholic Church per se; it was the environment yeah. and the people that came into that facility for help. Awesome. Yeah. And then you became Catholic. I did. That was a question mark. At I the end did. Of it. Yeah, okay. I became Catholic, but for me, it was more. It could have been becoming, I think, Anglican okay. or, uh, you know, for me, it was just, I believe in God. Yes. And whether it's um, the Catholic Church or whatever, whatever, yeah. it was for a, for a young woman who was trying to find her feet. It became under the auspices of Catholicism. And I found some incredibly beautiful things there. But I won't say today to you, I am only and you only can find your spirituality through the Catholic Church. Okay. But at that stage for me, it presented a haven and a home and a sense of belonging. And I also awesome. realized that, yeah, it was it's the beautiful step three stuff. Fabulous. What can I control and what can't yeah. I? And I could not control that man jumping that wall that night. But I could come in on the Monday and say, okay, so let us pray yeah. for him. And let us go forward in the spirit that, for those of us still in flesh and blood embodiment. Yeah. And let's process what happened. Let's process what happened. Yeah. Mm.
How did you live in Cape Town? Well, what happened is that, as I said to you, in the early 90s, starting that MBA, and I then got married to the man that you just saw walk past here, <laughs> Paul Weber. And we were really, what had happened is I was, I had no place to live. I was teaching at King David, but I had had a terrible fallout with my stepfather and mother. Um, my stepfather was relatively wealthy and had bought me a place to live in, but he then threw me out because obviously oh, it was in his name. So, And then... Um, this man Paul uh, lived in the same townhouse complex and I told him what happened one night at the bar and he said to me because we had a bar moss on the premises it oh, was wow. one of those places well chosen. <laughs> <laughs> and he said no bullshit man what do you mean they threw you out fuck them come live with me but then he came from a background of very Calvinistic German parents who ah. said oh do, 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 you can't live in sin you two must mama get married and I'm like oh Okay, well, that's a pretty good idea. If, if that's what it's going to take, then let's it do it. It seemed like a good idea. It at seemed the time. like a good idea at the time. But then we stayed married for five years, but under that, and then I decided. Um, and at you're that still stage, now doing your MBA? Uh, no, no, no. I'd stopped the MBA, okay. but I was working in the corporate environment, but no. doing my my psych honors at okay. UNISA. And then Paul decided he wanted to leave Johannesburg and come to Cape Town. And I thought, mm, okay, well, let's check it out. And came to Cape Town and I thought it was very lovely, but it was like a tour for me. <laughs> uh, so, and, and things weren't going that great in the marriage. So we, not, not necessarily because of him, but because of me and what there are between the two of us. I mean, I won't take on all the blame for that, but it was a joint effort. We dismantled the marriage. And I went back to Joburg, and that is where I started my work at the House of Mercy. Oh, okay. And But Paul and I kept touch through all that time. And as I say, built the purpose-built premises in Boxburg, but a nicer part of Boxburg where we weren't getting the Zool thrown into the road <laughs> and the two bub being put up, in the thing. Upper Boxburg. It was, exactly. More upper Boxburg. <laughs> Ravenswood. Uh, Ravens, okay. Middle Ravenswood. And we had townhouses around us, not ah. Shabin's. Cool. But still on a Friday afternoon, you could hear the South End douche, and I thought, ah, my friends are busy that side. Your heart pulled. I'm telling you, and I remember I've got two beautiful things, and maybe I'll show them to you if we have a moment afterwards. Um, one of the ladies across the road, I used to take her food and um, some medicine for her child, and she made me two beautiful beaded, like, cosa things okay. to stick on your, on your clothing. Um, she was killed one night. She was stabbed to death in a fight in oh, the Shabin. No. But whenever I heard the music, even in our, our Lani new place, mm. it would remind me of the old place. Sure. And that's, it's, it's, it Lovely. will always have a beautiful, special yeah. place in my heart. So I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked myself basically to a frazzle and thought, no, well, there's more to life. And Paul and I had kept touch through 10 years. Even though we had both had other relationships, we still kept touch. And then around this time 10 years ago, and it's interesting that you come to today because I think it was 10 years ago around this time that I made the decision to come back to Cape Town okay. and Paul and I decided that we would see how it goes oh, wow. and here we are um, that was 2009 it's now 2019 we're still seeing how it goes and it's going okay we didn't remarry mm-hmm. but we are together and um, that's how I got back here Oh, and ended up and that's when you ended up where, oh, where I am. That's it. And, and then I was not thrust into, but I struggled to find a position in an NGO similar to what I had had at the House of Mercy okay. in Boxburg in Gauteng. And then I spoke to somebody at Cape Town Drug Counseling Center. They didn't have a position for me at that time, but they said, listen here, speak to this person and this person and this person. And I got in touch via via 
the rehab in um, in Hope Bay, and then I ended up there. And it was a very different kettle of fish <laughs> from what I was used to, <laughs> because people had private suites. I mm. think you, my man, I mustn't say too much, but I, you I had a private, private suite in one week because <laughs> I was so bloody guilty. I knew I've stolen the money, and I, we could not afford <laughs> to be in the private suite. Yes, and I had to come and do the biopsych in the private suite, and I was used to, hey, man, what now? <laughs> And our director said, now you go and do it now. That man is in that private suite. Go now. And I, yes, sir. And I went and did it. And it was a very like, okay, so this seems like a very different socioeconomic status. <laughs> and yes, I remember about the money and that. And I, like, I can't oh. even remember that at all. Hey? I remember it very clearly. You I... sat there and you looked down your nose at me in the beginning. But then as we spoke more and more, I could see the, the hurt. So I wasn't crying at that stage. Oh, because yeah. what I remember was started, I was crying for three days. You started crying um, in the beginning. You were like um, hard ass with me. I'll give you uh, five and a half minutes. <laughs> but I sat with you, it must have been almost two hours. Oh, my word. I because I sat with you all. to the next group and I put the biopsych aside and I said, you just tell me how you feel. I'd stopped writing oh, at that word. stage and, and we spoke. Amazing. Was, yeah. I remember so well that you, a week or two afterwards, we ran into each other in front of the dining room or something. Okay. And, and you said to me, well, the 23rd of November will always stay itched in your mind. And I thought, oh my God, I never took note of the date. So it was thanks to you that I know that my clean date is the 23rd of November. And here we sit <laughs> on the 23rd of February, isn't it? Interesting. Yes. The numbers. Nine, nine and years the and three months later. And that you met, mm. um, that yeah, Yaku and you have been together for seven yeah, years seven on this date. Yes. I, you know, for me, these things aren't coincidental. Yeah. My head is now jumping a year or two forward. We, you went back to varsity. Yes. What? 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 Did you, when, when's it going to end for pizza? Well, I don't know that it ever will. Like therapy, you education, you know, you can never get enough of it. Oh eh? God! In your bucket. Now listen here, shush up, man. Don't you take this cynical approach? It's meant as a joke. What What happened is that I worked then at at Harmony, as you know, for mm. for those years, and I. I started there t- 2009 and I left there uh, December 2012 okay. and I took a bit of a break because I felt quite burnt out and run down after, <laughs> after the Harmony stint. Because you put in the hours, are you I, there yeah, all hours yeah. of the day and night? Yeah, no, I, I was wanting to prove that yeah. I was good enough mm. and I believe I was but I didn't really you take were definitely note of good the yeah. thank you well all, all your you know. all your patients at that stage still send you hugs yeah they kind do of, i they want do. to give a special hug you remember to yeah. give ruby a hug yeah <laughs> no it's 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 very special for me because there again in the midst of hell there was heaven yeah i used to remember freddie driving from lakeside into hope bay and you know you must go over that constantia neck and yeah. then you drive down it was like Dante's seven rings of hell. <laughs> I felt with every turn of going into Hope Bay that my stomach would yeah. ratchet up a notch and my breathing would become more shallow. Oh. It was, yeah, and then going in those gates and just, it was all a descent, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it, and then the pressure would be relieved and I'd be let out those gates and I would then ascend back. Yeah. It was a very interesting Amazing. physical dynamic that used to happen yeah. to me. Because I would feel at the end of the day a 20-pound weight yeah. left off me. And um, I had the complete opposite. When those gates opened <laughs> while I was inside, the panic yeah. hit me because yeah. all the bad stuff is outside. Exactly, all this bad In stuff. Here, yeah. I'm safe I'm and safe. everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. never forget that yeah. feeling. 
I'll never forget that. Oh, yeah. I hated leaving the premises. Sure. Because it was just well, it the you panic. bad is mm. out. It's out there. I'm it's safe out here. there. I'm still at this stage when I'm having a bad day, I wish I could book myself back in. Sure. Because that's the safest place sure. I've ever been in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your meals are looked yeah. right. You know, you've got the sessions, you've got people who want to listen to yeah. your story. And it's you've all got, about me. It's all about you. For, for, for 28 days, it's it was all about, all about you. me. Flipping what do hell, you that need? Was awesome. Exactly, yeah. and everybody was there to listen yeah. to you, no, and groups amazing. they would listen to you. And that I, I really tried to break the stigma with so many people about rehab. Yeah, rehab is not what people think it is. It for me it was an amazing place. Mm. I absolutely yeah. adored. I needed to be there, and sure. I got amazing treatment mm. while I was there. So yeah, the and next, an element of safety. Yeah, that safety that I so needed in that yeah. stage. So the next study. So what happened then is I okay so. Before the studies, I decided, all right, let me, I've had one experience of um, being in re, uh, running a rehab in Cape Town, let me now try something else. So very serendipitously again, I, a colleague of mine was looking for, they needed a locum for uh, stepping stones okay. in Komaki. And it was actually at the beach house at the secondary care facility. Oh, cool. So I went in thinking I was going to be working for a month and ended up staying for two and a half years. You overstayed your welcome completely. Absolutely. <laughs> I did indeed. I that, did that, indeed. That sounds like a nice environment though. It was. It was. I think after my experience in Hope Bay, a lot of things <laughs> would be a nice environment. Uh, yeah. But um, hi, Stephen and everybody. <laughs> but again, beauty with trauma and... Okay. The, the thing about stepping stones is that it was far gentler. The way it was run was far gentler. The staff, there was something more safe okay. about being in that space. And yes, we still had, you know, clinical supervision and all the scary things of case presentation and some quite hard-nosed psychiatrists sitting and saying, okay, sorry, so let's just see what's your treatment plan here. So you had to know your shit, and yeah. that's fine because I knew my shit. Yeah. But I did not feel quite as unsafe. And also I had realized that if unless I firmed up my boundaries in terms of working hours, I was going to burn out. Yes. So everything became more normal. Awesome. My work ethic and my commitment to excellence, that stayed what it was, yeah. but I found that I was supported instead of feeling that I was gunned for. Yes. Because one thing that my supervisor always still says is, as clinical director in a lot of places, understand that you are no one's friend. Mm. The staff don't like you. Mm. The clients, some of them might like you, love you, a lot of them hate you. But it's a lonely position. Yeah. And what I found at, because I wasn't clinical director at, at the Beach House, um, the people I worked with and the Stones people, first of all, it was more of a one team. And yes, of course, there was the acting out that you get in teams mm. where people take on different roles of the yeah. addicted family, get the rescuer, the persecutor, etc. Or, yeah. sorry? You'll always have that. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was not as hard, hardcore and not as anxiety provoking okay. for me. And it was very beautiful. You felt I mean, more held. Very much yeah. so. And because of that, I think that my work was not as strident. I was I kind of settled into a softer way of being nice. with myself and with others. And we had the most beautiful group room. I mean, we had, it was in Komaki, literally, 
the beach house because literally you walked out the front door, you're on the beach in Cormacay. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'd sit in the group room and mm. from the second floor where the group room was, you'd see the sea and the kelp mm. floating. Yeah. And you'd hear in summer and yeah. winter, you know, the seasons were right there. Mm. You'd hear that howling northwester wind, oh, mm. you know, and you'd see the waves crashing. Yeah. There was something incredibly beautiful about that. Can you imagine? Yeah, that was it was a good time. It was a good time. It was also a difficult time because what happened is it started towards the end of the time to become more corporatized. Um, yes. A big group took over. And I felt that in some ways we lost the ethos yeah. of what Stepping Stones and the Beach House was. And it became more generic. Yes. And it was at that point that I decided that um, I wanted a break from the rehab environment. My month locum is done. My month locum is done <laughs> after two and a half years. And I'm going to go back to university, she said. And lo and behold, she got into university to do an MPhil in criminology, law and society. And it was lovely. Oh, be <laughs> because I wanted to... So you went back to law. Yeah, but what it was, not it wasn't hard-nosed law. I mean, I didn't have my, I mean, I was not an admitted attorney. I never got my LB, so I couldn't go and do an LLM. So I was with people who were doing, we were a class of 10. I was with advocates, lawyers, but also people who had social science backgrounds. So it was a lovely mix. Okay. And what was lovely about that is I met again people that I would never have ordinarily met. Uh, a prosecutor from Argentina who was oh, wow. doing the course. And a, um, you know, people who were working in forensics and yeah. advocates in this country. So it was a lovely mix of international clients and local clients. And not clients, sorry, here I'm going, students. <laughs> and I'm nodding um, my head because I'm so used, so used to clients. I'm being... telling you. <laughs> and I had a beautiful thing happen to me in the first week because I was anxious. You know, I of decided course. I'm leaving rehab behind. I need a break. I yeah. always knew I'd go back to it in one way or the other. Yeah. But... I'd come through a lot, and then with the corporatizing of the Beach House and Stones, I thought, I want something different. Yes. So I applied for this kind of on a whim, because it looked very interesting. It was about society, um, the interface between socioeconomic status and criminality and addiction and all of this. So it really combined, criminology is the intersection of a lot of different no. fields, sociology, psychology, anthropology. Yes. and. We had some crackerjack lectures. It was wonderful. But me being, okay, uh, thinking that I knew a great deal, went into a situation where I emailed my lecturer as to how must I do this assignment because I've done all the readings, but please, professor, help me with this, this, and this. I didn't get a reply in 24 hours, so I actually emailed the head of school, <laughs> Professor Manaspey. <laughs> And she sent me a message saying, hello, Mrs. Weeb, I think you and me need to have a little talk. And I thought, oh, cool, now I'm going to get to know how the assignment's put together. I walked into office, she looked down her glasses at me and in her best Stellenbosch accent, because that's where she got her professor, she said, sit down. She said, do you know something? You're a student like any other here. Do not be sending my staff messages of when they must reply to your emails. <laughs> Are you serious? And all good 53 years of me fell three years old again. <laughs> oh my God. But no. the freeing thing of that is I walked out of there, took off my high heels, put on my pluckies, put my, ah. my rucksack on my thing and thought, I now have the freedom to be a student. So awesome. she did me a great yeah. favor. Oh, cool. Yeah, I went in there with a hubris of, hey, I'm in a dictionary school, you better answer me. Yeah. You know, to the thing of, hey, you know, fork off my yes, student. <laughs> Which is basically what she said to me. Yeah. And we have a great laugh about it now. Oh, awesome. 
So yeah, that was two years of university. First year was uh, 2016, lots and lots and lots of um, classes and fantastic courses. It was just so incredibly interesting. I had the the privilege, and it was a privilege. I mean, I had to rebond my house to pay the fees. <laughs> so I get the fees must fall thing because it was <laughs> fucking expensive. But Freddie, it was just such a beautiful new way of seeing the mm. world. And it wasn't like I then had no problems. Yeah. Going back to university and dealing with people in a very highly competitive class, it brought its own set of problems. Yeah. But it was different to the rehab problems and different to the yeah. rehab issues of staff and fighting and, yes. and, and you know, just a different stuff level of responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, your responsibility was to pass a bloody course. Exactly. The rest now, ancillary, yeah. ancillary problems. And if I wanted to go sit in the law library for five hours or ten hours, I could do yeah. it because I was a student and yes. it was really cool. Not to worry about, oh my God, this person's withdrawing yeah. and are the doctors not coming and the meds aren't right. And I, <gasps> No, it yeah. was a different, or the resistance and having to tumble, never mind roll with resistance. I tumbled with resistance <laughs> through those waves. I used to look at the waves and come back and think, yeah, that's me. That's me tumbling with it. You're an addict. Me? An addict? No. Okay, so yeah, we dealt with all the river in Egypt stuff, the good old denial. And yeah, the 2017 was the Afkak. Then it was the writing of the thesis. Okay. And your, well, dissertation, if you don't write that, you don't graduate. Yeah. Out of the 10 people in our class, me and Hannes Kukumor, onset geskreif. Hannes! Serious? Hannes worked for professional, ach, not professional, correctional services, and me. And, and we, we graduated end of 2017. Only two out of 10. Out of 10. And the other guys were, you know, they may well have done it. I don't know who's, yeah. maybe some of them have graduated now, but... It was, again, a place where I had to dig deep spiritually because it was me and the computer and mm. I had a supervisor. She was a most wonderful person. She now actually is a professor at the University of Glasgow um, in the criminology department. But, you know, she wasn't forcing me to write this, yeah. this dissertation. And, and, you know, if I handed her a chapter late, well, you know, that's my mm. problem. So it was really a case of having to pull yeah. myself up by my own bootstraps. What was your um, topic? My topic was on the... It was actually on private security and the public policing of private space okay. and how very often marginalized people, addicts or not, criminals or not, get pushed on through spaces in order to keep those spaces safe. But I didn't want to look at it from the point of view of, um, I looked at it public and private security in the interface between South African police services versus private security. But what I looked at is, I wanted to look at the lives of people that work in the private security okay. field and how private security be could become more transparent and democratized into a public good. Okay. And it's very much along the line of how rehabs can be dem democratized and can be funded so it's a public good. Yes. So it was really very parallel to okay. my passion in terms of how do we get the best treatment for people who can't afford it. Yeah to really looking at the fine granular detail of people's lives. Those guys who awesome. come from Congo and places like yeah. that, they get their grade A, B, C, D and E in, in security, um, but they cuckle for a living, mm. you know, and they get shat on by bosses and they get shat yeah. on by um, people who say, who are you, man? Don't tell me to get off the beach. Who are you? You're not a, uh, the South African, yes. you're not the police. So the whole issue of legitimacy. Yeah. And so it was, it was incredibly interesting because I did, yeah, I did a lot of interviewing, a lot of transcribing, but it was again for me that what I brought to it was more seeing how people tick. Awesome. 
It was not the hard-nosed yeah. law thing. And that was a beautiful thing about that degree is it fed in, it showed you, it gave you experience and um, kind of exposure to a wide range, but it also said, so what are you good at and what are you interested yeah. in? Oh, cool. So, yeah, it was really a case of how do people live? And yeah. again, the commonalities among, we talk in our program, mm. you know, look for the similarities, not yes. the differences. And even going back to Petra Tiff and sitting around that bride. <laughs> my life has been about so... You know, who are people at their heart and how do we connect heart to heart and spirit to spirit rather than in terms of people being separately yeah. and, you know, in Joburg is much easier than in Cape Town. So it's because all about connection. It's all about day. connection. The opposite of addiction. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Connection versus addiction. Shit, I want to ask something now and I forgot what it was. It was a good question. You're too interesting because I, I, I keep engaging and I forgot. Anyway, and you finished that mm-hmm. and is that when you went private? What happened is that about, it was about three quarters of the way through 2016, I met an ex-client. And this ex-client's sister was opening a step-down facility. And off the bat, she said, you know what, you were the best counselor I had, and would you be interested to come and run a group there? So I said, I would, but I would want to then make it a group that looks at skills because now if it's a sober living facility we're looking at the interface between you know being yeah. in rehab and going back into the world exactly yeah so i really then want to make whatever i do very very practically based awesome. really the tools of recovery how do i live life on life's yes. terms oh, and so find yeah. ways of doing things that serve me in yes. terms of my way of thinking, my feelings, Making my Making healthy behavior. decisions for yourself exactly. out in the big bad world exactly. and nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's all great being clean in rehab. Yes. Step foot out the rehab and then life claps you one. Then it's Absolutely, a case of yeah. now I'm as whole eight and base. Yeah. Because then you've got to actually say, what did they teach me and how do I put it into yeah. practice? What do I teach me and do I want to put it into practice? There Even the more how. important, what did they teach me that I don't want to put in practice? That is so important <laughs> that I put yeah, into practice. Exactly. Because yeah. it's the openness, honesty, and willingness of the difficult. Yes. The easy things, that's cool. Mm. But it's the stuff that I don't want yeah. to do. So I started running a weekly group there. And then I kind of had got a good study schedule together. So I was okay time-wise. Awesome. And I had said to her, look, give me a couple of months to bed down what's going on mm. in, my, in my university studies. And they were wonderful. They gave me the time and the space. And yeah, it was an hour and a half on a Thursday. And it was just, I, I just felt, oh, wow, it's so cool to do group work again. Awesome. So you had your feet in the, in the where your passion was. Exactly. Awesome. My feet where my passion was and, and my heart where my passion was. Yeah. And also, the great thing was that it wasn't that heavy, pressured primary care or yeah. secondary care environment where it's in-house you know, the patients are on the premises or clients. I mean, they call them patients yeah. or clients, whatever. But it was people who actually were in a step down. And by that stage, a lot of them had gone through a lot of the primary processes, yeah. the detox. It didn't mean they didn't get cravings and stuff like that. But the people that All were there. crazy. Well, exactly. <laughs> but by and large, yeah. there was more of, I'm here because I want to. Yeah. I'm not here because I'm going to lose my, you know, I've scaled, sorry, 
to Tupi scale the whole of money. <laughs> Present company excluded, don't worry, I've done some interesting things in my life myself. Or, you know, it's not dire because the court has sectioned me here. Yeah. These were people that to a certain extent. Yeah. But yeah, I still had to do some tumbling a lot mm. of the time and I still met with a lot of resistance. But it was on a very different level. Wow. And it was during, towards the end of 2016, there were two clients in particular that happened to still be my clients today who um, said they were kind of leaving the safe house at the same time, the step down. I said, well, do, you, do you run individual sessions? I said, no, 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 I've got to do my... And my big thing was, oh my God, I've got to do this dissertation. Yeah. You know, the last time I had been full-time at university was in my 20s. And it's yes. like, oh my God, academic writing. And I just kept getting stuff thrown back at me. Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. So I said, um, I, I'd like to, but I would be doing you a disservice if I said now's the time. Yeah. Let me get my head around what this... Uh, dissertation thesis needs to look like let me get a sense of what's going on there and then I will contact you yeah. and a couple of months down the line um, yeah that's exactly what I did and the rest is history so it's grown slowly since but then. surely put yeah. your toe back into yeah. it and that's how your yeah. private practice started. exactly Excellent. exactly how it started and I again it was a radical step threeing of what what my higher powers will was for me yeah. you know if this is supposed to work it will be i will do my bit and the rest i'm going to hand over if it's supposed to be yeah. it will and as i sit here today it's you know by the grace of god um because my high power is god yeah. is, and i'm just still doing it so i'll do it for as long as i'm supposed to wonderful and on those words i want to end because okay. they are the perfect words thank you so much This was an amazing chat. I wish we had more time. I am eternally grateful for Ruby for chatting to us, as well as for her part in my personal recovery journey. She's an amazing counsellor and I wish her all of the best in her private practice. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field, or Freddy Counselor, or Freddy van Rensburg, or on Twitter at at Freddy, or on Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an I-E at the end. I want to thank Ruby for her time in talking to Meet Me in the Field. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.